Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. So, big elephant in the room, you're thinking, Bob, there was no red wave. Actually, there was a big red wave, but the wave was countered by a big blue flush, otherwise known as a big blue cheat. At least that's the way it looks to me, but I'm no expert. Fortunately, columnist Mike Friedenberg has thoroughly researched this. Mike, welcome back to our program. Oh, Bob, thanks for having me back. Boy, it was, it was nice to come back after the 2016 election and have our discussion. This is not quite as nice. <laughs> no, this is the uh, 2022 selection. <laughs> yeah. So we did dodge the apocalypse. And I think that's something that people don't well, realize. Well, Nancy Pelosi not being in the house anymore, that's like, I want to sing Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead here. Right. Well, that that's true. What I mean is we, that we came so close. It was a razor's edge of a true political apocalypse. What I mean is the Democrats had this game. They had it set up that not only were they not going to allow a red wave, they were going to come back in control of the House. They were going to come back in control of the Senate. And, and they many were governor's to, races. And some governor's races. And then they were going to have Joe Biden. So that, if you think about what they've been doing, that's a political apocalypse. Not only is it a political apocalypse in what they would do, but just think of the shockwave that sends to the tens and tens of millions over half the country who have been bearing the COVID lockdowns, seeing their kids fall behind in school, having to sit at home while their loved ones die in the hospitals, their you know, kids being raped in the girls being raped in the bathrooms because a boy goes in there with a skirt, the inflation, the crime, the debacle in Afghanistan, and yet they almost completely turned this back. If my contention is if they had not miscalculated in New York, New York's a blue state. They have resources there. But if they had allocated a few more resources into Long Island, they could have killed it. Without those four seats in Long Island, they control the House. They control the Senate. And I'm going to tell you that we are somewhat lucky on Wisconsin. I think they had a plan in place to take out Senator Ron Johnson. And they were thwarted by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. Chin. It was very close there. That's There was a group there that was doing election integrity efforts, unsung. This is what I read in Conservative Treehouse. I'm going to verify this, but I believe that this is true, that they were managed to invalidate 200,000 non-voters off the rolls, and that made it harder for them. With the other stuff they've done, they have done some election reforms. That plus what they've done in Wisconsin, election reforms, reducing the, the drop boxes, allowed Ron Johnson to survive. So we would have been sitting there with them going with the plus two with Ron Johnson gone. And then I'm just going to tell you, I don't feel very positive about Herschel Walker's chances. Well, even if he wins, it's just 50-50, and then Kamala Harris breaks the tie. However, so. think about what we've, we've had to rely upon mansion and cinema, right? Yeah, and they're not that reliable. Well, okay, they, so now now we have to rely on two votes. They talk about being moderate a lot more we than have, they really so are now, moderate. So now the one vote in this kind of situation makes a big difference. It does. A plus one versus a... And you're not confident divide. because you don't think the Republican GOP governor there is going to do much well, to I'll help Well, I'll talk with about integrity. in more detail. I'm not confident, but I believe that there was something in the rotten in the state of Denmark that took place in Georgia. In many of our states, there right. was something rotten. So let me talk about those. So, so it not only did we not have a red wave, and, and by the way, the Democrats 
do wield power. The people running these operations had hundreds of millions of dollars, but they had limited resources and they're not omniscient. So they made a few mistakes. If they had not made those mistakes, we'd be looking at complete control. Uh, Bob, not only would it just be the actual things they would do, but just think about the shock wave. Probably people are checking out right now saying I'm not bought. People are saying right now they're not going to vote ever again okay, because now, of what this happened. Now, we did see a huge red wave in Florida. Would we have seen it in all these other places if it hadn't been for so much fraud and cheating? That's my belief. Oh, I, I absolutely believe we would have seen it. There's the fraud and they're cheating. And then there is a narrative which is out there, which is true, but not sufficient. And that's the ballot harvesting there. That's the one that people are latching onto. We need to do ballot harvesting. You know, we have to play the game. And we'll talk about oh, that a little bit. Oh, you mean Republicans saying we need to play right. the game we, like we need the to Democrats play the game are like the doing the ballot harvesting. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But the point is, we dodged. We came this close. And then in California, once again, they did a slight miscalculation. Christy Smith, who is an assemblywoman, she ran the 27th Congressional District. She came very close to winning in that district, which is a Republican district, by the way. These districts that we're barely hanging on to and maybe going to win in California, these are Republican districts. What she said is she said she did not get the resources, that she was starved of resources because they did not believe that she needed them. They were wrong because there was a red wave in California. But if they had spent a bit more resources, you know, they would have also got their seats in California. In California, with all the election fraud-friendly laws, they didn't think... She, she needed the resources. They also did not count on the size of the red wave in California. So we came this close, Bob. So yeah, relative to how close we came, I guess we can heave a sigh of relief. But just think about this, how a big a disaster this. And, and now what we have is people talking about messaging. And messaging is important in a normal election. The Republicans election. are trying every narrative except the fraud one. None right. of them will talk about and, fraud. And let me just, we need to be reflective. We need to examine our hearts. Let me just say this. With great messaging, we might have been able to pick up a great a seat or two. We didn't have great messaging. It was weak. It was anemic. So that's okay to talk about. Tribalism. Yeah, there's tribalism. But all the polling and polling by accurate pollsters takes that account. When you do a good poll and you understand what's happening and when you look at election results and the exit polling, all of that's taken into account. The messaging is taken into account. The abortion issue is taken into account. You know, how a person votes is a complex thing. It could be partially because of abortion, frustration about the lockdowns. There's a variety of things there. But when you do a poll, and if you're a good pollster, all those things are factored in. I'm going to vote this way, and it's a complex reason they're voting. So the bottom line is what I feel like right now is I feel personally like this. And if I feel this way, I feel like a giant gaslighting operation is going on. Here we had this massive buildup. For two years, we had our civil rights taken away. We had people dying around us. We had doctors being threatened to, to, to give life saving And we medication. had Democrats leave the Democratic Party in droves. Right. And then we saw a shift of Hispanics to the Republican Party. By the way, the exit polling And a shift of African Americans to the Republicans. This, the election polling shows we picked up more Hispanics than ever. We did way better than 2020 on terms of women. We did way better on every metric and every statistic. Yet, we're sitting here with these results. So as I sit here and listen to this kind of There's stuff- There's a big disconnect between- I feel like the Republican establishment and many conservatives are part of a gaslighting operation. They're part of the Democrat narrative. We're not talking. We should be talking about how this result is impossible. You mean, you think they're quite operating with the cheating or they're falling for it and taking the bait? I think that they're afraid to use the F word. Well, especially when the FBI might arrest you now because not accepting election results suddenly became being a traitor. 
Yeah, that, yeah. So I believe they're afraid to use the F word. There was a, a campaign, ongoing campaign about you know the evils of you know being an election deniers. The term they used. I actually used the term election integrity advocate. Unless you want to deny that Trump won the election well, the four years he's in office, that's perfectly fine. But that's it's only when the conservatives deny a written. Election. We've lived with that double standard for decades. It's part of the environment we have to operate. It's not fair. But but this idea about the messaging, they said, well, Republicans just had a negative message because they pointed out the negative things the Democrats did. What did the Democrats do in their message other than saying Republicans want well, to destroy democracy? We, we've so apparently 52. having a negative message is not the problem. No, we've won 52 seats with you know mediocre messaging in the past. We've I, won 40 seats. So the message, however, let's just say, is the commitment to America was anemic. It wasn't bold, and it wasn't publicized. Nobody knew about it. I'm so sorry. Maybe. To me, somebody getting up and saying, I'm not going to let men use the women's bathroom. I'm not going to put masks on your kids in school. I'm not going to open up the border. To me, that's a pretty good message, and that's what we did here. Well, And we did that, and the commitment to America also could have had, could have had some very bold things. It could have, you know, the commitment to America could have said things like, we're going to use the power of the purse strings to shut down the president. It didn't say that. So it wasn't very bold. They it, should have offered that free and, Slurpee and, at 7 And it wasn't promoted. So citizens. I think that there's some legitimate things. So could that have made a difference in a couple seats? Maybe. But the major issue here is a combination of ballot harvesting and then other activities. And ballot cheating. And I'm going to say cheating fraud is what countered the red wave. Now, as you said, the counter was not complete. But there's such a disconnect. When you look at Florida... And then you look at the fact that teachers' unions and teacher boards across the country, even in blue states, have been replaced. Who goes and votes for that and then goes and puts the Democrat in office? That's a good point, Bob. And yeah, There's fact, such a disconnect. Well, there was a red wave. There was a massive red wave in 2020. It benefited everybody but Donald Trump. In fact, a Democrat operative, a high-level Democrat operative at the end of 2020 says that Trump was a buoy for all the candidates up and down the, the cycle, Republican candidates. So this goes to this whole fake narrative about Donald Trump. Yeah, the, weren't something like over 200 of the people that he endorsed re-elected or well, elected? And they're they're giving us this narrative. Than that. It, the competitive races, he did not do so well, but we'll discuss that. The races, the incumbents that weren't competitive, he did very well. So, I, I mean, we have to be honest about that. So, basically, we head into the election. Just think about it from the average voter's viewpoint. We head into the election. This red wave is certainty. By the way, statistically speaking, historically speaking, polling certainty, a red wave happened. As you said, Bob, a red wave did happen, but it was countered by a massive blue wave of ballots. So, this wave happened. And then immediately after the, the red wave doesn't happen, people ignore the massive buildup to election. They start talking about messaging. They start talking about ballot harvesting. This feels, and they start really falling into the Democrat narrative. To me, it feels like a gaslighting operation. I think a lot of people out there, if you look at all the comments and the blogs, people are screaming out there saying, hey, let's start talking about what really happened. They want, but they're not getting it from their leaders. Okay. Hold with me over the break, Mike. Personally, I think the Republicans are becoming useful idiots to the Democrats. You're listening to The Bob Siegel Show. Believe it or not, Bob Siegel is aware that there may be one or two people who disagree with his opinions. To offer your own comments on the topic at hand or to challenge Bob with a thought-provoking question, feel free to contact Bob on Facebook, Twitter, or questions at bobsiegel.net. Say hello again to Mike Friedenberg. So, Bob, as we were discussing, I just want to mention a few things going into the election that people were looking at. Decision Desk HQ, which was one of the major uh, polling forecasting organizations, they basically gave it a 60% chance of controlling the Senate with 51 seats or greater. And 
having 231 seats in the House. Pretty good. That's what they said. Then RCP has done a new project this year. They're, they're pretty objective. They had figured on an average of 233 seats with up to 250 seats. An economic model, which was shown to be accurate in predicting election results from 1908 through the present time, predicted 40 seats. That was an economic and model. And we barely squeaked out the 218, or has okay, it so, gone up a tiny bit So that's bit going into then. the election. Now, after the election, the Fox did 90,000 interviews. They really upgraded their exit interview process, 90,000. That's people that voted the day of and also getting hold of people that voted by mail. This should get people that just submitted ballots. It should get the wide range. It's going to include a combination of low propensity, high propensity, medium propensity voters. Here's what they said. Most demographic groups shifted rightward compared to the 2020 election. Some of the most consequential shifts came among groups that backed Biden two years ago. Women, for instance, voted for Biden by 12 points in 2020 and for Democrats this year by just four points, an eight-point shift. Wow. Other notable GOP gains included voters under age 30, a 12-shift vote. So they turned away from Uncle Nick yes. Sniff, huh? for Republicans. The surge of the young voters is a false narrative. Black voters, plus 15 points. Hispanics, plus 10 points. College graduates, plus 11 points. Now, college graduates are normally one of the toughest groups for Republicans. Moderates, plus 11 points. And suburban voters, those horrible, dreaded suburban voters that killed Donald Trump, plus nine points. Republican favorability, 46 over 43 um, for Dems. So this is an exit So that poll. goes toward the true narrative that there's a huge disconnect so between what we should have seen those, and what we saw. Those are the results of voters. However, the election is no longer about voters. It's about ballots. See, Whether a, they're legitimate right. ballots or not. So a vote cannot be cast by a person who's no longer alive or no longer lives in the area. However, a ballot can be sent completed and returned regardless of the status of the initially distributed and or registered individual. While ballots and voters originate in two completely different processes, the result of both ballots and actual votes are the same. They count toward the election. So what we had is an election that turned on ballots being submitted. So all the evidence says that this was a red wave, and all we have is some ballots and some counting there. That and if says you complain about the ballots being sent, that it's like James Carville of the Democratic Party. You're a murderer because you don't care about COVID safety if you don't want ballots okay. to be mailed out. So that exit polling, though, was just amazing. I mean, that just seals it as far as I'm concerned. Now, let's talk a little bit about President Trump. He's gotten beaten up. He's gotten really beaten up. And, you know, frankly, I will just say this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but his comments about, you know, Governor DeSantis and Governor Yonkin. They were very unnecessary. They were unnecessary. They hurt himself. They hurt him. But those kinds of comments are not the reason we lost They're not the reason we lost the election. However, I will say that one thing that I, after thinking about a bit, they did accomplish something. If you remember the ugly, nasty 2016 primary. Oh, yes. And Trump said some things about candidates that, frankly, I just were over the top. Yeah, they were wrong. It was. You know, going after Ted Cruz's family. Remember that? You yeah, know, that constantly dad's... calling him lying Ted. And yeah, then and, and, yeah, mean, his dad was well, in on the so Kennedy assassination. What, it was horrible. What these comments reminded Ron DeSantis and, and Glenn Young. It's kind of like, maybe you don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, well, exactly. In other words, if you get in this primary with me, it's going to be knock down, drag out. Do you really want to do it? So I think they were possibly were a negative overall for him, but they did accomplish something at least from his perspective, positive. I mean, these guys have to really be thinking about it. You know, you're not going to come out of this thing in great fighting shape, even if you manage to somehow beat Trump. It's not going to be easy. That's the thing there. So there was a red wave, though. There was a red wave, and the red wave was very selective. 
For example, we had red wave states like Florida. We had California, which was arguably a red wave. We had New York. We had Ohio. In fact, in Ohio, the state legislature went even more red. In North Carolina, we had Ted Budde won. In both Ohio and in North Carolina, the Supreme Courts shifted completely red. So did the state legislatures. You were also talking about the popular vote, that even the votes where we lost, it was so close, and then we won so overwhelmingly where we did. Democrats are always talking about the popular vote, and I believe in the Electoral College, but Democrats out there, if you want to talk about the popular vote, fine, talk about it. We won the popular vote, and the popular vote did show a big red wave. I had that as one of my things to mention, but yes, the popular vote also shows that a red wave happened. Then we have Connecticut, Republicans... In Connecticut, defeated three state house incumbents. Maryland, there was some significant wins. Delaware, parts of Virginia, Texas, Utah. So now let's talk about the state legislatures. This is an area where Donald Trump really helped. When every time Donald Trump ran, we got a big boost in winning state legislatures. And that happened in 2016 and that happened in 2020. But this time, it still happened though, interestingly enough. As of November 17th, Republicans hold 54.42% of all state legislative seats. So there's about 7,000 state legislates hold 50, almost 55%, and the Democrats hold 44%. In 2020, Republicans held about half a point less than they do now after the election, and the Democrats hold about 0.5% less as well. Now, I think that the results would have been better without the ballot harvesting and what I believe is voter fraud. However, the Republicans picked up seats nationwide. Now, what happened is very strange. Even though they picked up seats in all these House legislative places, House races, the state House states, the legislative House races and the legislative Senate races, they actually lost four chambers. That means they either lost a House, the Democrats, or the Senate. And this is counterintuitive. Well, somebody did some analysis on this, and basically this is the first midterm election since 1900 when the opposition party did not at least take over one chamber. And you don't get this happening, by the way. So we're the opposition party. We're out. Not only are we the first not to take over at least one, we lost four of those chambers. Meanwhile, we actually elected more representatives, state-level representatives. That doesn't happen. But just take a guess where we lost the chambers. If you were to think about the states, if you were to just to, off the top of your head, just sort of guess, where do you think we might have lost? If I was just to go by colors, I'd say maybe, oh, the blue ones. The blue ones, that's true. It was actually Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Michigan. Michigan. Maybe Nevada. We lost both houses in Michigan. And by the way, not only did we lose both houses in Michigan, they've now got a, a they trifecta. Re- they reelected that idiot governor yeah, in Michigan. Yeah, Whitmer. So they got. I can't they imagine houses. one person in that state. They have both houses, and they passed. I think it was Prop Two, which basically puts into the state constitution fraud-friendly provisions. I mean, it's going to be very tough to get traction back in that state, which was basically trending until these weird election anomalies started to happen. It was trending red, and we've lost that state. And the other place where we lost, I think, was maybe Nevada, but there was one other place. So we had mixed results, like in Iowa. We expanded our majorities there, and now we have super majorities in Iowa. In North Carolina, they expanded the majorities, and now they are, have supermajorities in the Senate, and they're one vote short of having a supermajority in the House. So what you see here is you see a pattern. You see a pattern. And as I mentioned, the very important judicial races and Supreme Court, state Supreme Court races in North Carolina and Ohio. So we did really well there. And now in Kansas, the State Board of Education, they had a four-seat flip. Four seats that were held by libs, left-wingers, went to conservatives. So you see a tale of two cities. You see the tale of states that I would argue have, if not de facto, de jure election integrity provisions in place. And when I say that, I mean there's the law, like 
the um, Heritage Foundation has something called the Election Integrity Scorecard. And if you look at that, that tells you what laws are in place. But as we know, if the laws aren't enforced, like what happened in Pennsylvania and other places, they're not really worth much. So what I did is I looked at all the races and I put together a, a spreadsheet to analyze and see, hey, can I predict the races and the places where the polling results would be mismatched from the actual results. And I did this on the basis of just saying, if I was a Democrat running this, what would I do to win these races? What if I look at it, not from my perspective, but what if I was the big cheese? Let's, and I don't know if there's somebody like this, but let's say I was the Democrat, the George Soros operative. The guy who's really running everything. That controls the purse strings. I've got hundreds of millions of dollars to work with. Okay. I'm facing a red wave election. I'm smart enough to know that I'm facing this. What can I do to blunt it? What can I do to reverse it? How would I go about it? Okay. Well, first of all, I don't have infinite resources. So I've got to prioritize, right? I've got to prioritize. So how would I prioritize? Okay. Well, first of all, I would look at states, obvious states. Let's say you have a state where you have a governor running that's possibly either your governor's vulnerable or the GOP governor's vulnerable. That's a high value target for me. I've got to be in that state, right? I've got to either protect the seat or if it's an opportunity to pick it up, I'm going to be there. Because governors are in a position to look into or not look into yes, election fraud. Exactly. Exactly. They also are the ones that do the re- help with the redistricting. If somebody dies in office, governors. Yeah, we re- underestimate the importance yes. of governors. We really do. Yeah. And so, yes, I'm going to look at that. Also, what about a U.S. Senate? Well, that's an obvious one. Not only do I want to not lose ground, I mean, all the polling and all everything says we've got a good chance of losing the Senate flat out losing the Senate by plus one, plus two. I've got to stop that. So if I have a state where I've got a competitive race for governor, a truly competitive race, and I've got a truly competitive race for U.S. Senate, that's going to be high priority. And also another part where I've not put in there yet, but I would add in there, a chance of flipping a state legislature. If I could also add that into the equation, that's also important because they're also responsible for you know looking into ballot fraud. And they're also responsible for a lot of other important things. Then the other aspect I'm going to look at, okay, so... I'm going to be running this massive operation. And what I don't want to do, I know that the press is willing to overlook a lot of things. I know the GOP is cowards and they're willing to overlook, but they're not willing to overlook everything. So I have to be careful where I go. So one of the states I'm not going to go into, even if I had a lot of opportunities or I'd be very worried about going to, would be, for example, let's say Florida. Right? Would I want to go? Would I want to? Because he knows DeSantis would investigate. Right, and DeSantis just set up a brand new law enforcement agency that goes after voter fraud. And Carrie Lake would have investigated too, so he had to make sure she did not win as governor. That that put her. Okay, that brings us to another narrative. I have these annoying people running around, and even though the mainstream press poo-poo's them and the GOP you know, sees them as gauche and unseemly. There's still a lot of these people running around that, you know, have been labeled election deniers. So if I can also put a lot of resources into taking out election deniers, that would be a really high priority. That's a big PR win. Well, it's, it's a big PR win. It's a huge win. And not only is it a win from a PR perspective, but it also means that these people aren't in office because these are some of the worst people you can imagine to have in office, right? You don't want them there. So for example, when I look at something like Arizona, here we have, we have a plausible governor pickup or loss situation. We have a competitive U.S. Senate situation. We have Carrie Lake there, who is so obnoxious. I mean, I hate her guts. 
You don't mean you, Mike Friedenberg. I'm talking you're, you're about talking. I'm about, talking about I'm George the Soros, Soros operative. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean she's she's got to go. And then Blake Masters is there as well, and he's also he's not as bad as Kerry, but he's pretty bad. Okay. I mean he's pretty bad. So this is going to be my you know when you think about it, this is going to be one of my highest priority states. It was a state that went for Biden that we managed to get for Biden in 2020. It was razor thin, so we're going to go after that. So in all the states I actually did, this state came out to be the highest by a little bit. It prioritized. It came out with a score of 271. And then a woman running there who was in charge of the election in her other title and who did not recuse herself. For governor. Yes. Yes, right. Exactly. Yes. Hobbs. Katie Hobbs. And so I'm going to go after this. So if you use those factors and you plug in the numbers, and you, and I did a, a very rough cut at doing a weight. Like I signed each factor a certain amount of weight. Then the spreadsheet does a form and adds it up. I was able to predict which states would be the ones where you saw the greatest variance between the polling and what you would expect and the actual results. So it's there. The pattern's there. For example, New York, by the way, in my model, comes out to be very low on the priority list. you know why? Because it's mostly Democratic. Because anyway. it's a blue state. Yeah. It's not a place I thought I had to spend much resources so we in. We don't have to cheat there. There's enough dumb people that will just legitimately vote our people into Which office. meant me as the George Soros, are, right now, if I'm that George Soros person or the Democrat operative, there's some people that are very angry right now because they had spent a few more resources into New York, you know, Long Island area. They could have had the house. So they made some mistakes, but they're not perfect. As I said, they're not omniscient. That's one thing you have to remember. And they're going to learn next time. And they're going to learn next time, right. And then they're going to keep attention. So the same with these seats in California. These seats in California, by the way, even though we're going to pick up a few of them, they should have, if you look at the registration, they should have been election night calls. It should have been so overwhelming. But California is so fraud friendly that- yeah, Even, they're going, our cheating hasn't worked. Circle the wagon. Figure well, it out. What can we still do? But this brings us to the uh, the next part of the discussion is, in 2016, California passed laws that made it voter fraud very easy to do in California. You know, ballot harvesting. You know, enabling ballot harvesting. Well, and not asking for ID. They'd had that right, one long right. before that. So then in 2018, we saw that put into effect. It's a good effect. Where you saw Republican after Republican after Republican go down. Ballots counting. More ballots coming in. You know, Republicans starting off 10-point leads losing. To give credit, many of the Republicans running this time around actually tried to do their own ballot harvesting operations. And I think that them doing that actually did allow them to survive. They still didn't win by as much as they should have. That's one of the things. Let's talk about ballot harvesting for a little bit here. Ballot harvesting, it's asymmetric. It's much easier for the, the demographics and the areas that Democrats do the ballot harvesting for. It makes it they can do ballot harvesting much easier than Republicans. So this idea that, well, we just do what the Democrats do. Yes, you can do that and it can help mitigate some of the damage because if you're actually out there and the Republicans, I'm assuming, are mostly going to be doing it legally. They're basically saying at least technically legally. Right. Whereas the Democrats, let's say in California, you can sign up to be a ballot harvester. OK, so let's say you turn in 20 ballots and your name's on it, signed on it. You know, 18 of them are actually people you really talked to, right? And you said, hey, look, I've got this voter's guide by the local assembly person. You know, you like him. He's a Democrat. Here, here's the voter guide and here's how you can vote. They fill out their ballot that way because they gave them some good information. Then they take it in. But then there's going to be two or three that they just harvested. You know, somebody's, you know, absentee ballot. They got a hold of it. They know they're not going to vote. Maybe they're dead for all we know, or they never vote. They're going to vote it for them. So you can mix it, you can slide it in there. So they're always going to have that advantage on it. And they're also working in urban areas. I worked my way through college doing door-to-door sales, educational books. 
And I could tell you, when you start having to go to big suburban areas, getting door to door, I mean, it takes you a lot more time. So if you're in urban areas, high density, and you just know that these are low propensity voters, it's a target-rich environment, and you can sit down with them and you can do that. Now, there's very few areas like that Republicans can go into. In fact, maybe you could try to do it, but I'd hate to be working in that area trying to get Republican votes in some of these areas. I think it could be a little bit of a rough environment to try to survive in. Uh, I mean, I mean, really, literally, well, like what happened to the Rubio, right? Rubio's election worker, he got into the hospital, people beat him, broke his face, bones and everything like that. I mean, that's the kind of situation we're looking at there. So I think that that's a legitimate part of the narrative. But I still go back to what I said earlier. We did not acknowledge just how unlikely this was. This was not a possibility of one that there's going to be a massive red wave, but if it was a fair election, it was 99.999. Is it being investigated anywhere, Mike? I was hoping that some of our judges, now that they don't have to feel they're defending Trump like they did in 2020, might feel the freedom to take some cases. There has been a little bit in some smaller races. There have been some investigations going on, but nothing Nothing on any kind of scale other than potentially out of Arizona, because I think Carrie Lake was doing so well that once again, they were forced to take- But will she be in a position to do the investigating having lost the governorship? Well, that's it's not been certified yet. And there's actually the attorney general from Arizona is now saying he's going to investigate some of the stuff that happened. that's a little bit of hope. So uh, one of the things I sometimes do is I get so involved in analysis, I will bury the lead on something. (laughs) And I did bury the lead. I actually did, not only did my own research, but I did talk to a, a number of people. And some of the people I talked to- I will just say this, it's off the record, but these are major pollsters, nationwide pollsters. And you got to talk to them yes, personally? Yes, Wow. And I cannot say their names. They're probably afraid to say their names. Well, no, but I- they because, spoke because, the truth to Well, you. no, because, because, listen, very excellent, let's start on top of that, excellent pollsters. Pollsters, for example, who were accurate in the Virginia race, or pollsters that were accurate- in all the states throughout the country, except the states which I would call fraud-friendly states, there's a marked contrast. The fraud-unfriendly states, their polls are accurate. The fraud-friendly states, their polls are inaccurate. You know why? You can't pull a ballot. A paper ballot is not an adamant object. You can't pull it. If it's just going to be submitted with no voter behind it, there's no way that you could pull it. So it, that's what happened. And so I'm just going to say is I feel very bad for this guys. should start factoring in a 20 to 25% cheating margin well, these days. Maybe they'll come up with more accurate Interestingly polls. enough, that would be worked into what you call your voter turnout model. And if you wanted to give up and just say, okay, we figured the Democrats are going to do this every election, you could put in your voter turnout model and you would possibly be more accurate than you are if you're actually trying to do real polling. So I will just say this. Now, I do want to talk about Georgia for a little bit here and why I said this seems highly unlikely. Kemp, the governor, actually beats— He wasn't too helpful to us back in 2020. He wasn't—no, he he was completely unhelpful. So was the secretary of state there. The state legislature tried to do something without the support from the secretary of state and the governor. They couldn't really get anything done. So despite all the show stuff, we never had a real forensic audit there. So I'm going to put that state as being fraud-friendly, but there's a caveat. With Kemp running as the governor, and I'm sitting here, let's say I'm back to the George Soros operative there. Am I going to do voter fraud in that state that Kemp went into the race seven, eight points ahead? Am I going to do voter fraud in that state that makes it look like Kemp lost support? Because Kemp, in the few months he's still governor, could look into that. Oh, yeah. So that would be a dangerous so thing for that. them to try. Yeah, exactly. And, and then here's another thought here, which is, by the way, I've taught some people about this. They said it's perfectly reasonable psychology. Kemp, 
he doesn't like the MAGA people. He doesn't like Trump. And he doesn't like Herschel Walker. I mean, he reluctantly, you know, he's going along with it. He has to, to be a considered Republican. So if I was a service operative, I would actually submit ballots. I would submit he ballots. He could view Kemp as a friend, actually. Yeah, no, I would submit ballots with Kemp winning the vote at the top of the ticket. Because I know that Stacey Abrams doesn't have a chance. And I would then, I would, then vote, for I would vote, vote for Warnock. I would vote for Warnock and the other thing. The thing is that when you have somebody at the top of the ticket, like Kemp, and they're pulling, and you had Republican pulling eight points, he should have pulled Walker right over the top. I mean, well, again, you get to that disconnect. Who's going to vote for a Republican governor and then vote for a Democratic senator? It just doesn't make any sense. I think that I know it's been known to happen, but generally it doesn't make any sense. There is a certain type of Republican that might do exactly that, but they're not that number. So I actually believe that happened. Now, that's a theory. The data bears it out. I can't prove it right now or anything like that. But we're going into this election cycle here. Now, what do we have here is the narrative. I mean, when you have a top of the ticket doing that well relative to their opponent, you win your race. So going into the December 6th runoff, Walker's a loser. I mean, how could he lose that race? I mean, the governor beat his opponent by eight points. So we have a ready-made narrative that, of course, Walker lost. How could he ever won? I mean, we have the narrative there. It's, and and plus, they could blame it on Trump well, plus Trump he was, supported he was, him. Yeah, plus he was a Trump endorsey. I mean, and so I'm just going to say is that I hope I'm wrong because I, I really like Herschel Walker. I think he's an excellent human being, and I think he would make a wonderful senator. But unless they do something to look into – and by the way, is Kemp – going to invest voter fraud that might show that he actually got a little less votes than he might. No, it's not yeah, going to happen. No, unfortunately, Mike, what you're saying makes perfect sense. Okay. So now let's talk about the Carrie Lake situation. Carrie Lake was up on her opponent three or four points, and she had been up for weeks now, several weeks. So this is not a last-minute surge. She was soundly beating Hobbs, Secretary of State Hobbs, who refused to recuse herself from the election. So we hit election day, and I was looking at a map, in terms of the you know, the redness of the district where these polling machines that broke down were, they were predominantly in Republican areas overwhelmingly. There was some that were in blue. And it gives the Democrats a chance to see how the Republicans were voting right. and then do more cheating yeah. and match their votes. And by the way, you if you have a ballot box, right, and you take it up, you don't even have to open it up. You can actually weigh the ballot box and determine how many votes are in it. And then you can sit there and say, that's how many more votes we need. Now, if that's what happened, okay. So, well, and, and there, a lot of the Republican votes were coming in really late. Now, some of well, that's because they voted in person on the day. Well, and they, but also, they were coming in later than they should and, have. And here's the, here's the thing that's been going on. A lot of Republicans, including Carrie Lake, believe that there's tracking operations going on. So that if you vote early as a Republican, let's say Bob Siegel votes. They'll say, hey, Bob Siegel voted. Let's submit one of our ballots that we have. Cancel that vote to out. To cancel that vote out. So if you vote early, they can just filter in those votes over a period of time. And then they have a dump of votes they can do in the end. So what I think happened, though, is that similar to what we saw happen in 2020 with Trump, where they had to sh- five states shut down. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, you found that lots and lots of ballots were there. Is I think that there was a situation where they had to do this operation because if they had just counted the votes, Carrie Lake would have won. So that is the theory there. 
And no, you're saying that one has not been certified yet. Though. No, it's not been certified because the attorney general has saw enough election day issues and problems in the biggest county in the state. So we say, have some hope with this one. There's some hope. And I don't know if the, you know, if he's, who knows if I don't know the attorney general, I don't know much about them. I don't know if they're really seriously going to go after this, but at least they feel that they have to do it. Is it just going to be a show to say they did it or are they really going to do it? I don't know. But at least there's a chance there. So we have that there. So we have Carrie Lake and then we've got Nevada with Laxalt, right, and Lombardo. Lombardo running for governor, Laxalt running for U.S. Senate. Laxalt was doing better than Lombardo in terms of outpolling his opponent, yet he lost and Lombardo won. Well, the difference between the two, Laxalt was a prominent mega endorsing now. Lombardo got endorsed well, but not the same level of prominence. And Laxalt was also somebody that had questioned about the elections of 2020. So once again, I'm perfectly willing to believe that they are willing to try to make statements. They're going to say, look, election deniers get crunched. And if you're a bit more reasonable, you do better because they're going to try to have us believe that a country that has 60% of the people believing there might be problems with the election, that that was the issue they voted on. But you know, when I look at a place like Nevada and the Republican is up by two points and then I suddenly hear they found all these extra ballots that they didn't realize they had and they just suddenly came in. I just say to myself, I know what the news is going to be tomorrow morning. Suddenly the Republican's going to be behind. And they never know how many votes are outstanding. And they just keep coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in. So okay. I, I would say that we need to definitely get on board with doing the legal ballot harvesting. But we also need to be talking about the F word. The fraud. And that F word, of course, if you're FCC, is fraud, fraud, fraud. <laughs> okay. okay. Mike, we'll continue keeping an eye on this. We thank you for being such a good watchdog for us. We'll see you next time. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.